Good morning, guys. How are we doing? We still awake? Yes. Sorry, I am, as I said before, I do come with a lot of baggage, but, um, but it's all okay. We're here now. We made it onto the stage and we only dropped one of the boxes, so it's all good. Hopefully it'll become clear later. But, um, but like Steph said, my name's Amy. Um, I'm part of the church here at Trent Vineyard. I have the absolute privilege of being the student pastor here. I get to be involved with all of the students and young adults and it is a joy to do that. Um, And I don't know most of you guys and you probably don't know me so I just thought it would make sense to introduce myself a little bit. Um, so, um, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm, I'm in fact a Geordie. I am, I know, you're all surprised by that. Um, I grew up in a little town called Whitley Bay, which is on the east coast, really close um, to Newcastle. But I've lived in Nottingham now for about seven years. So any semblance of that accent that I ever had has now completely disappeared. But I will say Pooba Scooper and Cheeky Monkey just you know, just for the fun of it, to make you guys feel better. Um, So like I said, I've been here for seven years. I came here to study at uni. I studied cultural sociology, which is quite an obscure degree, but I loved it. Um, And about a year and a half ago, I I got married. Thank you. Um, I got married to my husband, Heinz. Um, Wow, yeah. Heinz has many fans, um, and uh, he's an all-round good egg, I, I would say that. Um, and, and we've been together probably in total for nearly five years. And so actually when we got married, I, I assumed that I knew quite a lot about Heinz. I thought I had him down, I thought I knew the ins and outs of who he was as a person. And, um, and when we got married, I realised that I was completely wrong. Um, There were so many things that I didn't actually realise about Heinz. I'm just going to run you through a couple of them. The first one, um, this is going to sound like I'm really slating you. You are an all-round good egg. Um, But but the the first one is, you know that kind of husband or man stereotype of leaving the toilet seat up, all that kind of stuff? Heinz doesn't leave the toilet seat up. He insists on putting the toilet lid down. And if anyone's ever heard of a toilet plume, that's why he does that. Has anyone ever heard of that? Yes, and that's why he does it. If you've never heard of it, look it up on Google later. You might be grateful, you might not. Depends what kind of person you are. Um, He also, I found out about a month into marriage, kind of semi-regularly sleep talks. And um, and, and I I discovered this quite abruptly when at about three o'clock in the morning, Heinz thought that um, I was an intruder in his bed and started screaming at me, who are you? Get out, get out, get out. It was terrifying. (laughs) I actually didn't sleep very well for the next month. Yeah, I know, it's bad. A couple of weeks ago, he thought there were snakes in our band. He was shouting about snakes. Um, so he stopped turning on me and turning on the snakes instead. Um, but, but the last thing that I would mention that I've learned about Heinz is that um, he, he cannot sit still. He always needs to have a project. And um, for the last year and a half, that project has been our house. Um, so uh, we moved into this cute little terraced house when we got married and um, Heinz didn't waste 
any time before jumping straight in and turning it into his perfect home. And, and literally, we just got home from honeymoon like two weeks in to marriage, and Heinz is stripping wallpaper, he's tearing up carpets, there are people coming around to visit us, and he's waist deep in the floor trying to fix floorboards. He was not waiting around. And so this year, just before summer hit, we had a chat, and I was like, listen, Last year was a little bit stressful for me. Over the summer, can we, can we maybe chill out? Let's not do anything to the house this summer. And he was like, okay, that's totally fine. I was like, maybe sometime in September, we can maybe talk about sorting out the bathroom. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. So September 1st comes around, <laughs> and I get home, and somehow... We don't own a steamer, but Heinz has acquired a steamer and he's steaming wood chip wallpaper off our bathroom wall. And I was like, when did we talk about doing this? And he was like, oh yeah, like back in May. So he, he proceeded to spend the next couple of weeks um, almost demolishing our bathroom. I mean, I did, I did kind of help out and it was kind of fun, but this is what it looked like. This is what it ended up looking like. So he stripped the wallpaper um, what else did he do? He took all the wall, tiles off the wall. That's our bath. I mean, it doesn't look like that now, but, um, but that's what our bath looked like after he tore down all the tiles. Um, he took out the bathroom cupboard. He took out the actual shower. And, um, and I was like, this is chill. This is cool because, you know what? Actually, I do kind of want a new bathroom. It was, it was a little bit grotty. And so I was like, this is fine. He'll call a plumber. We'll get it sorted. It'll be fixed. You know where this is going, don't you? <laughs> I've spent the last three months without a shower. <laughs> Our bathroom still looks like that. And, um, and the reason is because um, Heinz realised one day after he'd called in a plumber and he'd given us a quote that we actually couldn't afford to fix our bathroom after it had been demolished. <laughs> so pray for us, guys. <laughs> Don't celebrate. I can see him celebrating. <laughs> but... Um, but that's basically what our bathroom still looks like now. And, um, and it's okay, because we, we are members of a pure gym, and so even though we haven't... Yeah, exactly, exactly. So even though we haven't used the actual gym facilities in probably about two years, we can definitely use the showers. So, um, so life is good, friends, life is good. But, um, but, but it can be a little bit frustrating, can't it, when, um, when something ends up costing us more than we maybe expected. You know, maybe you guys have had an experience where you've agreed to go on holiday with a friend and you get into planning and it turns out they exclusively stay in five-star hotels. Or, um, or that classic thing of going out for dinner, enjoying a nice meal, a bottle of wine, and you get to the end and that you, the person that you've come with is like, oh, I forgot my wallet and you end up having to pay. It's frustrating, isn't it? When things cost us maybe a little bit more than we were expecting to pay or willing to pay. And, and I don't think that it's a surprise to those of us in this room who are following Jesus that, that when we decide to give our lives to him, when we choose to follow him, that there's a cost that comes with that. You know, maybe you've even experienced that in the last week when you've been chatting with your friends and they're frustrated at you because they want you to come out with them and get drunk with them and they say you're no fun, but you just, you kind of know you don't want to really do that. 
Or maybe it's in your relationship where, where the temptation is actually getting really hard um, and you're trying so desperately to resist sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe it's been in your singleness where you're trying to resist the same kind of temptations or, or maybe it's in um, your business or your work where you look around and you see other people cutting corners but you know that you want to hold tight to integrity because you know that that's the right thing. Whatever it looks like for you, we often, don't we, find ourselves in situations where living for Jesus feels like a little bit of a sacrifice. And at times, the choice we've made to follow Jesus can even lead us to a place where we find ourselves asking the question, you know, is, is it really worth it? Or we start to think, well, maybe, you know, I've read the Bible, I've read the gospel, I know that this is good news, so I'll take this bit over here, I'll, I'll, I'll read this bit, I'll follow this bit, but actually... This stuff over here, this doesn't fit in with the lifestyle I want to live. This doesn't fit in with how I'm living now. So I'm just going to forget about that bit. That bit's not quite as important. But what I want us to think about this morning is whether in light of the gospel, in light of the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and for me, whether we believe that he is worth the cost even if it cost us every single thing we have, would we still say that it is worth it to know Jesus and to walk with him? Because I honestly think that if the answer to this question is yes, then our lives absolutely need to look different as a result. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to change tax slightly on what the guys were chatting about yesterday. And you know, it still fits in with this thing of what Paul was talking about, about um, being equipped in order to live our lives well for Jesus. But we're going to look at this thing and we're going to reflect and we're going to consider, do I love Jesus enough to be willing to count the cost for him? So we're going to turn to um, Matthew chapter 13. If anyone's got their Bibles or their phone Bibles, that's also an option. And we're going to turn to Matthew 13, and we find Matthew, at Matthew, we find Jesus teaching his disciples and, and other people about the kingdom of God. Yeah, it's up on the screen as well. Matthew 13, 44 to 46. And it says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, we'll come back to the the story of the pearl, that last little bit, in a while, Um, But first, I want to focus on this hidden treasure, because as we can kind of assume and as we can kind of gather, this isn't just any old treasure. It's treasure that is um, so valuable that if you were to find it, nothing else would compare. Even every single thing that you owned would become worthless next to this treasure, 
And so I did a little bit of digging and I discovered um, what the original um, Greek translation, what the words that they used for treasure here in these verses. And, um, and it came out that the words that they used was, was thesaros. I think that's how you say it. Um, it was thesaros. And, and what, it, what it actually means, it doesn't just mean treasure. It means that, um, that it's kind of a storehouse. It's a place where goods and precious things are laid up and deposited. So this isn't just a piece of treasure. This isn't a handful of gold or um, a few kind of old heirlooms. This treasure that has been uncovered isn't just valuable. It's in abundance. It's overflowing. In this treasure can be found treasure that is greater than any other treasure that could be owned or found. And Jesus, he's not talking about literal treasure. We know this. We know he's not talking about gold or jewels. He's talking about the kingdom. He's painting a picture of what we have to discover when we encounter him, when we meet him, when we give our lives to him, when we enter into the kingdom of God. You know, I had a conversation recently with a friend who'd, who'd entered the lottery. Don't worry, I'm not condoning gambling, just the lottery. Um, that was a joke. Um, and uh, that was a joke. And, and she put some, some money in with, with a group of friends. And had they, they won, they all would have become millionaires, I think. And so I asked her, I was like, so if you'd have won, what, what would you have done with your money? And so before having to think about it, she gave me her list. A round-the-world trip, a new house, a few other houses to rent out. Um, she definitely would have quit her job or at least gone part-time. And as we chatted through this list of stuff that she would have done with her millions, I mean, I won't lie, it did sound awesome. It sounded amazing. But the more we chatted, the more we reflected on, well, you know, what, what happens when, when you kind of spend all your money and you don't really have any left? Or, or when you get bored of being retired at the age of 25? And it made us realize that actually having a whole load of stuff and a whole load of money actually wouldn't solve the problems that we had. In fact, it made us wonder whether it might actually add to our problems. And it can be easy, can't it, for us to fall into a trap of thinking, oh, well, well, actually, this is what I'm struggling with and this is what's going on in my life. But if I just had this thing... If I, was, if I was just in a relationship, then I would feel lovable. If I just had some money, then I might be happy. If, if I just had a better job, then people would think I was successful. If I just get that 2-1, then my parents will approve of me. We look around us and we see our friends and we see celebrities on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, and we wonder what our lives might be like if they looked like that person's life. But what Jesus is trying to tell us is that no matter how much of a draw there is in the treasure that we can see around us, these things, they will never bring us true fulfillment. They're not the true treasure that can be found in Jesus. You know, I want to share with you guys a little bit of my story. Um, so for me, one of, one of the greatest things that, that I struggled with as a teenager was 
um, with self-image issues and, and body image issues. Um, and I think it stems from being bullied as a kid. People used to call me um, fat. They used to tell me that I looked like a boy. Um, and so I got teased quite a lot, and it ended up affecting me so much that I developed significant issues with, um, with food. And it was never um, diagnosed as anything, but I think in hindsight, if I was to look back at it, it probably was a bit of an eating disorder. But I was so ashamed, I was so full of guilt, that I just, I didn't want anybody to know that that was something that I was struggling with. But I believed that in order to prove my bullies and the people who had spoken those mean things over me, to prove them wrong, I needed to be thin. I needed to be pretty. I needed boys to find me attractive and give me attention. And in the end, my life became so controlled for many years by, um, by mealtimes and by the next... I, I was panicked by the next time I had to eat. And my happiness ended up being measured by how much attention I felt like I got. But the thing is, I wasn't, I wasn't really even happy at all. It was actually probably the most miserable time of my life. But I thought that's what I needed. I thought that's what I needed to gain the approval I was so desperate for. But when I was kind of in my later teens, Jesus caught hold of me. I had an encounter with Jesus that started me on a totally different trajectory. He started to lift some of those things off of me. And over a number of years, the Holy Spirit gently and lovingly showed me that I was loved, accepted exactly how I was. It didn't matter if people said that I was fat or thin or ugly or pretty. None of those things were important to him. And now it's been Many years since I started on that journey with Jesus, and I can honestly say that food no longer controls my life. And it is a joy. Thank you. It is a joy. And there are still things that I have hang-ups about. You know, we all, we all do. My, li- my life is so, so not perfect. But I had found myself searching for love and acceptance in just the wrong places. I didn't understand that I could have found all of those things in Jesus in the first place. And I imagine that for a lot of us in this room, there are things for us that we just can't seem to let go of that are preventing us from finding this treasure and this freedom in Jesus. Maybe it is the pain of singleness, maybe it's a need to live up to other people's expectations, maybe it is the bondage of anxiety, depression, eating disorders, maybe it's even being so fixated on something that you hope for that hasn't yet been fulfilled. You know, there are so many things that have the ability to take control and to captivate our lives, and and we just don't think that we can ever live without those things, and we don't think that we can find freedom in those things. And because we don't want to let go of some of this stuff, because we find it hard to let go of some of this stuff, we seek to satisfy our needs for them. We seek to satisfy our longings and our desires and our brokenness in places that actually are not the kingdom and are not the treasure of the kingdom. You know, we find ourselves, you know, we're desperate for intimacy, so we search around and we, and we find some intimacy. 
and we find it maybe um, in watching pornography or, or in, in entering into a relationship or sleeping around and it, it makes us feel good for a while and it makes us feel wanted, but after a time, it starts to kind of make us feel a little bit numb. And, and, and actually where we started in a place of just being desperate for loving intimacy, we kind of realized that actually where we've been searching is, is kind of just a little bit empty. And so, so we search around, we feel a bit of a need for acceptance. Where can I find acceptance? And so we look for acceptance um, by turning to Instagram and looking at how many likes we've had for our posts or, or by looking at how popular we think that we, we are. But after a while, you know, we start to get disheartened. Oh, not, not everybody likes all of my posts. Or, or, oh man, isn't it exhausting trying to be everything to everybody all the time? And so actually we realize that in our search for acceptance, it's actually more exhausting than edifying. And we discover actually that's empty as well. And so we find ourselves searching around, what, what else are we searching around for? We're searching for, for purpose, we're looking for purpose. And so we think that we will find purpose in a good job. We will find purpose in a good job title. And so we place our identity in that. We place our identity in our qualifications and our jobs. And, and so we bounce around, we look for, for the perfect job. We look for the one that maybe earns the most money, that looks the best on my CV. But actually, as we bounce around from job to job, we realize that every job has its challenges. No workplace or job is perfect. And actually, where we think that we'll find fulfillment in that, again, we discover that is, again, empty. And so we, we look, ultimately, all of these things are leading us down a path of searching for happiness. We're on a path searching for happiness, and we think that, ultimately, life is just about us being happy. And so we maybe book another holiday, or we read a book about what it means to be happy, or we like join a yoga class or something. Like We try and find happiness. But ultimately, we take the focus of everything else and we start to think, well, what will make me happy? What's going to fulfill my needs? But after a while, our happiness soon fades. You know, as soon as something bad happens, we realize that actually searching for happiness isn't the ultimate answer. And again, we discover that that too is empty. Instead of seeking the pearl of great price, so often we find ourselves searching around for counterfeit. But what if instead of chasing all of these counterfeit pearls, we spent our time pursuing the treasure of the kingdom? And we discovered in the kingdom all of the purpose that we're searching for all of the approval that comes from knowing Jesus. We discover the intimacy, the true intimacy that we are so desperate to discover. And we find joy and freedom. Wait. We find joy and freedom in knowing Jesus and knowing who we are in him. Because this is the true 
Theisaros that we're talking about, the store of all of the treasure that we are so desperate to uncover. And instead of just finding a little bit of satisfaction for, for a moment, we find the treasure in the abundance and the overflow of the kingdom of God as we seek for him instead of seeking everywhere else. You know, A.W. Tozer, he is one of my favorites. I love, I love what he writes. And, um, and he writes this book, The Pursuit of God. If you've never read it, you should read it. And in it, it says this, the man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. Many ordinary treasures may be denied him, or if he is allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be tempered. For having the source of all things, he has in one all satisfaction, all pleasure, all delight, whatever he may lose, he has actually lost nothing. For he now has it all in one, and he has it purely, legitimately, and forever. And I think that also applies to the ladies. But isn't this the treasure that we're desperate for? That is pure, that is legitimate, that is forever, that is abundant, that is overflowing. What if instead of looking around us, we let Jesus be our source of intimacy? What if we let him meet us in our anxiety? What if we let him be the place where we find our approval and acceptance? Because in finding it anywhere else is never going to sustain us. Only Jesus can do that. You know, in, 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 in saying these things, he's asking us to quit searching in the wrong places so that we can actually be found in him, to let go of the treasure of the world so that we can gain all of this treasure that comes from the kingdom. And you know, you might be thinking, that sounds amazing, but actually, that's a lot easier said than done. And, and you would be right. We can't forget that though this treasure is abundant and it's open to all of us. It does come with sacrifice like we talked about at the start. And in order to say yes to Jesus and all he has for us, we might have to say no to some other things. We might have to even say no to ourselves. But how do we do this? How how do we do this? How do we live this out? Well, if we go back to the passage in Matthew where it says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. The treasure, guys, is all well and good, but Jesus is asking us to be people who actively search for it, who actively pursue it. If we want to receive the more that Jesus has for us, then we need to be pursuing it. But, but what does that look like? What does, that, does that mean that in order to follow Jesus, I have to sell everything that I own? I mean, he might not get much from us anyway, but does, does, that, mean, does that mean that I have to sell everything that I own? Well, well, I don't know. I mean, that was the cost for this guy. Maybe it is the cost for some of you guys. You know, is your, is your heart too much on your possessions and the stuff that you have? I don't know, I'll leave that with you. But, but I think for most of us, the cost Jesus is talking about will likely look more like a whole host of different things. You know, the, 
the writer of the Gospel of Luke, he, he um, refers to Jesus as kind of going a little bit deeper into what he's saying here. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He's asking us to take up our cross, not once, not twice. He's asking us to take up our cross daily, which means that every day we have a choice to make as to whether we're gonna choose Jesus today, whether we're gonna choose Jesus over our desires, whether we're gonna choose Jesus over our own personal agenda. The cross is the ultimate symbol of sacrifice. And so to take up our our cross daily, I hate to say it, is going to require a little bit of sacrifice. You know, taking up our cross daily might look like choosing purity when everybody around us is having sex. It might look like embracing our singleness when we would really love to have a relationship. It might look like letting go of our own agenda in order to do the thing that Jesus is asking us to do. You know, I want to share with you a couple of stories of some friends of mine who've really, who've really lived this out. So over the summer, um, I met up with a friend of mine for lunch. She's a student, so she lives in, an, in another city. And so when she comes back, we hang out. We have a great time. Um, generally, I feed her. And... Um, and so she'd, she'd mentioned to me previously, um, before we met up, that, that actually she'd been considering ending things with her boyfriend of a few years. And so we met up, and I was like, hey, how, how are things going? And she was like, Amy, I, I decided to end the relationship because um, her boyfriend, he didn't know Jesus. And she'd spent years trying to tell him about Jesus, invite him to church, show him Jesus. But actually, he, um, despite being a wonderful, wonderful guy, he just didn't really want to know Jesus in the same way that she did. And it presented her with a choice. She could either choose to continue with the relationship and put him first in her life, or she could choose to prioritize Jesus. And I love it. In, in the conversation we had, my heart, my heart was broken because she, she said to me these exact words. She said, Amy, I just, I want my relationship to be for the kingdom. She didn't want to settle. Instead, she was looking at her life and in every single way, she wanted it to reflect Jesus. She wanted people to look at her relationship and she wanted them to see Jesus. She wanted to have kids one day and she wanted to raise them to know that they were part of God's family. She loved her boyfriend and she still has so many kind things to say about him. But in order to say yes to Jesus, she knew that she had to lay down that relationship because she knew that Jesus was calling her into something more. Now, I, I, I'm not here with an agenda. I'm not trying to turn this into a point about not dating non-Christians. I'm going to let Jesus speak into your life in whatever way he wants to. But what I do want to point out is that for this friend of mine, that was the cost for her. She recognized that in order to live in the fullness of what God had for her, 
she had to make a choice. She wanted God to be her priority in every single aspect of her life. She wanted to honor Jesus with her relationship. It doesn't mean that it was an easy decision. It was incredibly, incredibly hard. I imagine even now it's still a daily decision for her to pick up her cross and remember why she made that choice. But I think, um, you know, many people won't understand that, but I think John Wimber, um, one of the founders of the Vineyard Movement, he put it so eloquently when he said this, all through our lives, in our service to God and his people, we will be put in situations where others look at us with disdain because our obedience and sacrifice to God doesn't make sense to them. But for those who have found the pearl, it makes perfect sense. It is worth selling everything we own to gain Christ and be found in him. You know, I want to share another story of my friend, um, Graham. He's, he's a good friend of mine. He's actually now married to one of my best friends, which is a joy. And a few years ago, he moved to Nottingham um, to do the discipleship year here. And we did that year together. Um, and, and for any of you guys who've maybe done a discipleship year or an encounter year or a part-time gap year thing or whatever you want to call it, um, you will know that finding a job to go alongside that and to fit around all the stuff that you do at church is actually quite hard. And so when, when Graham moved and he got a job at the local Poundland, none of us really thought too much of it. But, but, but I remember one day when, when somebody, somebody mentioned to me, we used to call him Grey Pound because he worked at Poundland, which is it's not that great of a nickname. Anyway, side note. But, um, but, but I remember the day that somebody came to me and they were like, Amy, you do know that Graham has a master's degree, right? And he has a PhD from Oxford, right? And before he moved to Nottingham, he was working as a lecturer. He had laid down his job his status, even his academic titles, because Jesus asked him to. And I'm not saying that giving up your job for the church is is the right thing for everyone. For some people, it it, it might be, but, but it's not right for everyone because, to be honest, we need as many of us as possible to be in the secular work environment because, let's be real, you might be the only representation of Jesus that some people get. But for Graham, that was the cost for him in that moment of his life. He needed to lay it all down to show Jesus that he was his direction, that he was the driving force in his life. His job or his status was not the driving force. And when I texted Graham to ask him if I could share his story, he insisted that I share with you guys that he got back way more than he gave His decision, it was never based on what God would do for him, but because God is so full of mercy and so full of grace, Graham gained so much through making that sacrifice for him. What if we were people who said that the kingdom of God at work in our lives was more valuable than a good job or a good reputation? What if we were willing to sacrifice our own agenda for the sake of Christ's agenda for our lives? 
And that doesn't always mean having to give up good things if that's the thing that, that God wants for you. But it does mean living in a posture of openness that doesn't rock up on a Sunday and saying, I'd do anything, I'd go anywhere. But then when Jesus calls and asks, will you deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me? We need to do that. We need to act on it. And you know, I think this applies to all of this big stuff and it applies to the little stuff because I think if we were really honest with ourselves, probably one of the greatest things in our lives is distraction. We find ourselves distracted by little things. Our phone, I mean, my phone's quite big, but it's still quite small and yet I get distracted by it so often. You know, are we being distracted by things that are ultimately preventing us from giving our all to Jesus? You know, maybe for you, the the day-to-day decision to deny yourself might look like sacrificing your lie-in to spend a little bit of time in the Word. I know that that's what it might need to look like for me. Or maybe saying no to one more episode of your favorite series so that you can actually go spend a little bit of time in prayer. God wants to speak to you, and he wants to use you. Don't restrict yourself from what he could do in your life by distraction and by not being willing to give him your all. You know, if we were people who gave ourselves to seeking Jesus and allowing ourselves to be refined by him, what what actually would this room look like in a year's time if we were people who were committed to that? You know, so often we cry out to Jesus, and I know this and I say this because this is what I often do myself, and we ask him to move in our lives, but we're actually not willing to move things out of our lives in order to give him space to do that. You know, it might feel uncomfortable, it might feel awkward, it might at times feel a little bit painful, but I can tell you that this treasure, this goodness, this Jesus is worth it. What is the cost for you? What are you holding on to? What is holding you in your life that you need to say no to in order to say yes to Jesus? Cause to live for, please, let's not miss what it means to follow Jesus. Let's not sabotage ourselves from the fullness of life and treasure that comes from living in the kingdom of God. You know, senior pastor of Vineyard Anaheim in the US, Alan Scott has written a book, Scattered Servants. Again, if you've never read that book, you really need to. It's amazing. But he says this, the dream of God on your life is not that you become a believer and help out the local church. The dream of God over your life is that you come alive in his presence and bring life to every environment, spilling contagious hope into hurting humanity. You know, if we want to become people who come alive in his presence, we maybe need to learn how to die to ourselves. Jesus is asking you to give him your time, to give him your agenda, give him your singleness, give him your anxiety, give him your need for acceptance, give him your purity, give him your reputation, give him your full heart, give him your attention. You know, I honestly think 
that we could spend a lot of our lives rocking up to church on a Sunday, serving on a team, being part of a small group, and miss what it means to follow Jesus almost entirely. What do we have to gain if we are willing to deny ourselves, to give everything for Jesus? Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a generation that, that settles for comfortable Christianity, do you? You know, let's, let's show the world where when they look at us and they call us snowflakes, that actually when it comes to the kingdom, that there is no sacrifice that is too great for us, that there is no cost that is too great for us to take action and to step into what God is doing. I want to chase after the kingdom for everything that it's worth. And I want when people to look at me, for them to see the transformative power of Jesus at work in me. So much so that it, wants, it causes them to want to chase after it for themselves. Because it's actually when we live like that, it's when we live like that, that that's when we'll see this world changed. By a generation that sold everything that they had to give everything for Jesus. 